I will highlight for you two local pastors and two sermons here recently, but I got to tell you, I'm a little shook. I'm, I've been challenged on some economic things, and I want to wrestle through that with you on this week's Corey Act Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening, and I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. It's going to be a fun one, guys. I have a lot of very interesting topics for us, and it's the type of stuff where I get to wrestle through what I believe because I have been challenged in a really healthy intellectual way. We'll get into some of that. I have those two pastors for you at the end of the show. Do not miss sports this week because it is not the same as usual. There's some really interesting things happening in sports right now in the NFL. They're renegotiating what's called the collective bargaining agreement. And there's a very interesting discussion about the end of the show on this. Did you know that in the NFL, when it comes to the revenues, so all of the billions of dollars that the NFL makes, that the current ratio for splitting up the money is about 53% owners and 47% players. Consider that. 47% goes to the guys who put their bodies on the line every Sunday. 53% goes to the owners and administrative. And you wonder about the justice of that. And so Heath and I, at the end of the show, get into that. And I even found myself conflicted because, you know, in the actual capitalist world, I'm very comfortable with management and CEOs making gigantic amounts. So why wouldn't I be comfortable with the owners in the NFL getting into that? So, guys, it's a good discussion. Stay tuned, stay tuned for sports at the end. But we're going to do all that in just a moment. First, my name is Corey Truax. I'll be your host for the Corey Truax Show Again, that works out because my name is the show. The show is my name. And, and it's just really serendipitous how all of that worked out. We are on his radio talk, 91.9 and 92.9. Thank you for listening live on Saturday mornings. If you are listening to the podcast later or earlier, thank you for doing so. I am always grateful for that. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church and Beachwood Meets in Greenville, South Carolina at 1030 on Sunday mornings. And you are cordially invited. I want to start here with Dr. DJ Horton. Dr. D.J. Horton is the pastor of the Church at the Mill. It's up in Spartanburg. I believe it used to be called Anderson Mill. And it is a good Southern Baptist church here in South Carolina. I've had a great deal of admiration for them for a long time. And Dr. Horton, who came from out of state to pastor that church, he is very quickly becoming a Southern Baptist leader. And two weeks ago, he did, or maybe it was three weeks ago, he did a sermon, I wish all... The uh, all pastors would do, and we did something similar here recently uh, at Beachwood with our lead pastor. I wish every pastor would talk to their congregants, talk to their members about how to handle this coming election year. Here we are, the Christian church. We are not Americans first. We're Christians. We're not Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or Independents. We do not live for the outcome of this election. And so while the, a great deal of the rest of the world places their faith, their hope, and their trust on what happens in November of 2020, and they're going to feel the angst, the anxiety, and the fear of it, and the pressure of it, what are we going to do? How are we going to behave as a peculiar and distinct people during this time? And so Dr. Horton, with this gigantic church in Spartanburg, a very influential voice in the Southern Baptist world and the Christian world, just did a great job. And so I want to play for you a small part of that sermon and expound upon it just a little bit. So first, Dr. Horton here says near the beginning of the sermon, 
there's at least a list of four or five things, four or five things available to the Christian as we are about to interact with this culture, interact with this world in election season. What are those things available to us? This is Dr. D.J. Horton. This is what we can do as Americans who love Jesus. We can pray. We can learn about the issues. We can support a candidate. We can vote. And then we trust. Now, nobody, doesn't matter where you are, nobody would disagree with that slide. No political statement there. But let me show you subtly how it works. You see, there's two ways to do every one of those. Watch this. This year, you can pray for our leaders and for God's wisdom for both you and them. Or you can pray as if your candidate must get elected or the world will end. Oh, that is so good right there. So we have available to us this awesome thing called prayer. And we can pray for God to give us wisdom, give other leaders wisdom, or we can pray like the end of the world is coming. I would take you back to 2016, and it was a popular trope on the right to call the election of 2016 a Flight 93 election. Flight 93, if I recall, is the is the flight on 9-11 that landed in that field in Pennsylvania that the, the folks on that plane knew if we don't take this plane down, then er, er, everything's going to fall apart. This is a Flight 93 election, so you got to do whatever you have to do at all costs. And that was, the, that was being sold to folks on the right. You have to do whatever you have to regarding your candidate because if you don't, literally the country will crumble. Now, I was always offended by that because the Constitution is strong, it has been around for almost 250 years. It has been through worse than Hillary Clinton. It's been through worse than Donald Trump. It, Guys, it made it through Woodrow Wilson. It made it through the interning of Japanese people. It made it through a civil war. Like, this, the Constitution's awesome. No, it wasn't a Flight 93 election, and this one isn't either. So, you can pray for wisdom, for guidance, for candidates and leaders, and for yourself, or... You can pray like you have no hope. I, my guy has to win or nothing's going to go right. As if Jesus isn't the one on the throne. I believe it's Spurgeon who is quoted. It might have been Chesterton. Chesterton. It's either G.K. Chesterton or uh, Charles Spurgeon who said, I am most comforted by one political axiom, and that is Jesus Christ reigns. I am comforted by that myself. So we can pray like we know that, that God is sovereign and powerful over all governments, or we can pray like uh, the what happens in November is going to be the end-all and be-all of life. DJ Horton, Dr. Horton also said there, you can learn. I'm about to steal from him now. I'm, I'm just taking his sermon notes. I'm just making everything shorter. You can learn in a way that you go to God's Word. You can go to the Bible to determine what your position should be on any given thing, or you can learn from Rush Limbaugh. You can learn from Rachel Maddow. You can learn from Sean Hannity. You can learn from your face, favorite little Facebook feed, or you can go to the Word. Let me tell you this. If you are getting more Fox News than you are sermons, you are doing life wrong, or at least you're doing the Christian life incorrectly. If there is more influence on your mind from CNN or Fox than it is Christian believers, you got a major problem on your inputs. So, you can learn humbly from Scripture what we what principles we have, and then humbly learn the issues, or we can learn from our media figures. 
The same thing goes with his other points. I got to speed these along. You can support or vote in a way that you hope is uh, through through prayer and learning was the right thing to do. You can humbly support uh, doing it in a way where you don't wholesale uh, defend your people uh, as if they're the there's nothing wrong with them and they must be defended against all. Uh, all accusations, or, or you can biblically go and say, you know, I, this is the the best person we have a uh, have in front of us, and we're not going to put all of our hope and trust in that person. Same thing on that last one. He said you can pray, learn, support, vote, and trust. You can trust that God is sovereign and doing whatever He wills. That whoever happens to take the oath of office on January twentieth, twenty twenty one, is the exact person. God wanted to be president of the United States, whether that be Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, Michael Bloomberg, whoever it happens to be. So that's one sermon. You can find the whole thing at churchatthemill.com, churchatthemill.com. It's also on Facebook if you want to go listen to the entire sermon. It was called, oh man, God, Government. I think it was God, Government, and the Gospel. God, There was another word in there. I think he dealt with maybe war or something like that. It might have been God, Government, War, and the Gospel. But it was God, Government, and the Gospel, something like that, uh, from Dr. D.J. Horton up in Spartanburg. Just excellent. The other sermon I wanted to cover was the one that I heard most recently at Beachwood Church. I love learning. It's like my favorite thing. I think I've complained to you on the show before. I get annoyed at people who seem like they're just done learning. I've learned what I've learned. I know what I know, and I'm finished knowing things. I don't want to know anything new. And I, I think there's a point in life people get to where they're just finished learning. I learned some... Oh, man. Uh, so I should probably give some preamble. I come from... I And loosely. I loosely come from a perspective regarding a lot of biblical prophecy that a lot of it's already happened. And that's not necessarily even a majority position in Christianity right now. Uh, I understand that. And when I say I hold loosely... I am am 100% sure the way that I read Scripture regards prophecy, I'm wrong on something. I know that's true. There's no way I've... I'll tell you this. There's no way I solved it. If anyone solved it, it wasn't me. I don't have the expertise. All right. So, uh, but I do do suspect a lot of the prophecy we see has already been fulfilled. And our pastor took us through one that blew my mind. So there is this thing in Ezekiel where... Ezekiel prophesies that the glory of the Lord, the glory of the the one God, would leave the temple, but there would be a day coming that the the glory would come back. And so you start tracing through history the glory leaving the temple, so Ark of the Covenant leaving the temple, and he walked us through all that. But Ezekiel was so specific, it wasn't just this general idea of it leaves the temple, it comes back, but no, it's going to leave through this gate of the temple, and then go over this mountain in the east, and when it comes back, when the glory comes back, it's going to go over that mountain, back through this door. And as we trace that then through to the New Testament, there's this incredible thing, where Jesus is in Bethany, the town of Bethany, and when he sets his face to go on to the temple, where he's actually going to cleanse the temple of the money changers and all the stuff happening in the temple, that he does the exact route. So the glory had gone out of the temple, but then the glory, the real glory of the Lord, the ultimate glory of our God, who is Jesus, he's the, he, he's the real temple of God. All, all of the imagery of the temple was to point us towards the Messiah, that he did that. 
He came out of Bethany over that same mountain, went into that same gate, and the glory of the Lord did return to the temple. Like, whoa, what a prophecy. And there are other systems of interpretation that look at that and think different things about the glory coming back to the temple, because particularly, like right now, there is no temple. So how can the glory come back to it if there is no temple? So therefore, the temple has to get be rebuilt. Whereas if you see this reality that Ezekiel saw it leaving, saw the Ark of the Covenant leaving, but then he sees Jesus as the greater glory, the better glory than even the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant. That's what's coming back, and then you see Jesus come in as the glory of the Lord. You go, oh, this is cool. Like Ezekiel prophesied something, and then it happened. You actually get to see it in the story of Scripture coming to its fulfillment. Uh, I believe if you want to look for that sermon, uh, I'm going to shout out to somebody. We have someone in our church, Taylor, Taylor Wooten, if you want to search for that name. He Facebook lives most of the sermons, so if you want to go try to find that one, just look for Taylor Wooten. Don't stalk him. Just look for him on Facebook and then watch the Facebook Live. And you're also invited. If you're into some of this end time stuff and prophecy, it is a good time to be by Beachwood Church. So you are invited to come joining, join us on ten, at 1030 on Sunday mornings as we continue to work through some of this prophecy and end time stuff. When we come back, I have been challenged on my economics. And I tell you, I really am. I'm struggling through it. And I'm almost live on air going to verbally process how I think about our economic system, capitalism, its ultimate purpose, free markets, and all that. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. I have a very controversial proposal for you. And I propose this. Brace yourself. Let's just say I don't know everything. Let's pretend for a moment that I, I don't have the whole world figured out and maybe from time to time I should reevaluate my opinions. I know you're shocked and it's, it's an insane thing to think maybe, but that's where we land here for this segment of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. You can find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Please do find me there. Follow along. And if you are so inclined, you can support the show financially on Anchor. Anchor.fm is the site, or you can download the Anchor app, find my show, listen there, or support the show. I would be grateful. So, there's a new guy I need to introduce you to. I, th- I did uh, do this thing called Blinkist for his book. I think that was Blinkist. Uh, there's an app out there called Blinkist, and it it summarizes books for you. So if you don't have time to read a book, it'll give you, it's it says it's 15 or 20 minute version of what you would have remembered if you would have read the book. Uh, listener and good friend, brilliant guy, Zach, uh, has recommended this app as well out on his Twitter. So he's part of your listenership and he's enjoyed it. You should go get the app as well. It's really inexpensive. His book was something like the... The, was it the Disappearing American Worker? It was something like, oh no, it was called, um, oh that's it, Once and Future. Once and Future Worker. Uh, so the idea of the American worker has changed, what it means to be an employee in America from six, the, the 60s, 70s, and how it's changed over time to what it is and why work in America seems different. And I've, I've talked, about, talked about that on the show in depth, about how businesses became all about shareholder value and not, they don't think about employees as constituents. We've been through all that, but it's, it is an important book. But Oren Cass is his name. He was the writer. 
he has a group coming out that I think in particular some of you who write to me are going to want to take a look at. I'm not on board yet, but I am intrigued by them and I feel challenged by them. So, Orin Cass has a new group coming out called American Compass. You can find them at AmericanCompass.org, AmericanCompass.org. They have very little on their site because they're saying they're going to launch in May of 2020. But I've been following Oren Cass around. I heard a very long interview with him on one of the NPR shows, and he's doing a lot of conservative media. And I think he has something to say that we need to engage with. It might end up being the case I disagree, but it's worth exploring because here's his thesis. His thesis is that American conservatism has become beholden to a fundamentalist version of free markets. So he would say to people like me, you call yourself a free market capitalist, and you call yourself, or those two things, you're for free markets and you're for capitalism, but the way that we are working right now, it's not capitalism, it's not free markets, and it's bad for people. And even if it is free markets, even if it is capitalism, it is bad for people, and therefore... We don't, we don't believe in free markets. We believe in people. And so let's do the policies that are best for people, even if it violates capitalism and free markets. So that's his thesis, and you've got to know how uncomfortable that makes me. Because I'm basically a free market absolutist. I would argue, loosely, I would argue without knowing I'm totally right, I would argue that that comes from a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, the the value of work, the dignity of work. So that comes with free markets, that uh, it is good for a man to work, it's good for a woman to work. Giveaways aren't the way for people to subsist. It's, it's actually violative of the image of God on people to have them as wards of the state. So we're, we like free markets. If we, we look at Scripture and we see that thou shalt not steal and some other passages, I would even take you to an Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament where Peter does declare the property was yours, but because you've lied to the Holy Spirit about it, then here's the punishment was, was actually death on the spot. And so the, the Bible would, would say to a Marxist worldview that Bernie Sanders puts forward, he would say to a socialist worldview that the Democrats put forward, and some Republicans for that matter, it would say to them, no, you, that person's money's not yours, that person's property is not yours, it belongs to them. It actually is a, a sin to covet it. I look at the American left wing's philosophy, and it's based on envy. It's Their entire economic philosophy is driven by breaking the Tenth Commandment against covetousness. And so I, I'm about a free market absolutist, and I, I can be wrong about that position, but that's about where I am. And so when I hear this from Orrin Cass, as I typically am, I'm interested in it. I'm I'm never the guy who hears something I disagree with and goes, I can't believe they think that. Rah, 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 rah. How could they possibly disagree? Rah. I hear people disagree with me and I go, oh, that's intriguing. I would like to learn more. So Orrin Cass has this group coming out and I have been collecting from his interviews some of his points and his actual policy prescriptions for a guy who calls himself a market skeptic. He's a skeptic of the free markets and he's not a left winger. He would call himself very conservative. So here we go. Uh, I wish you one more quick point before I get into the, to the details. This is one of the things I like about being a part of the American conservative side, the American right wing, 
even though I'm a Christian above all, uh, way down the list, am I a political conservative? I do enjoy being on the right because we tend to be the side that actually has these discussions. The left is having some of these discussions right now because of they're in uh, they're in a debate season and they're in primary season. But for the most part, on the left, you hold to their view or you're a heretic because left wingism is a religion, and they'll kick you out of their religion if you don't hold. They'll call you a heretic. So I love being on the right where we can actually challenge each other. Folks who are skeptical of free markets can challenge people like me to think about it. So let's think about it. First idea. The the, the Orrin Cass folks, the folks that say the Republican Party's gone off the rails, they're too capitalist, you're free market fundamentalists, one of their ideas is actually a Bernie Sanders idea. They think there should be employee representation on boards on uh, I guess that wouldn't be boards of trustees I don't know what you call those but the boards that run companies so I for example I'm a part-time want to want to be investor so I own some shares in Apple I own some shares in Disney I own some shares in Microsoft and I think it's quarterly might be every six months I get an email where I have to sign in with my with my uh, you know my, my private stuff and I vote on new board members for these giant corporations that I have, I own some shares in. And I can choose not to vote, but I usually do the research and I vote. And so what they are, what Orrin Cass is saying is that on those boards of trustees that actually make big policy decisions for these companies, for Amazon and for Microsoft and Disney and these companies that are rolling so much money, there should be employee representation. Employees should be there having votes on those issues. I hear it. I, I, I am a guy who even admits and have talked about on the show. I'm troubled by the reality that companies make decisions to make shareholders more wealthy, and it doesn't seem like they care about their employees at all. It's very rare to find uh, a, a company that seems to actually think that their employees are human enough to invest in them and not just the the bottom line profitability of the company. However, there would be some economic consequences to this. And so as if, if conservatism is going to have this discussion, I want to go ahead and make my point about my concern regarding this idea. Let's say we did that. We put employees on the board at Microsoft, at Disney, at Nvidia, at Apple at Verizon, at Comcast, and AT&T, and all the biggest employers in the world, let's say we put on the board employees. One of the issues we're going to have is that when you ask employees of Microsoft, Apple, Disney, NVIDIA, Facebook, uh, even for that matter, Walmart, PayPal, you ask these big companies, do you guys want to take our this year's budget and do you want to give yourselves, uh, we got this extra, I don't know, $200 million we, we made a, a above projections. Should that go to you, the employees? Should we come up with formulas and spread that out amongst you guys? Or, let's go with Verizon here, or should we take that $200 million and start working on the next generation of 5G wireless technology in Tokyo 
because we know that market's going to be so profitable. And if we'll spend this $200 million now in Tokyo, we know there's going to be more money on the back end. It's just going to come 10 years later. Or you guys can take raises right now. I think I know how the employees are going to vote. I think I know employees aren't going to be... A lot of them think, I'm only going to be here 5, 10 more years at the most. Like I'm, I'm trying to find another job right now. And so... What happens when you put employees on these boards is you end up getting short-sighted decisions because employees want what they want right now as opposed to what a board of trustees is there to do. Think long-term for the betterment of the institution. And so Orrin Cass is saying to people like me, hey, man, let's put employees on the board of companies, to which I say, I think you're actually going to hurt the economy. You're going to hurt our long-term development. If you do it, I am open to being argued with. So if you heard that and went, oh, that's a great idea. I do mean this. I'm not sure I'm right. That was my instinct. My instinct was you will stifle development if you do that. If any of you disagree, I want to hear from you. CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and tell me on any of these ideas where you think I'm wrong. Number two, next idea coming along from this group from Orrin Cass, American Compass, saying you're all being too free market fundamentalists. They say this, that there should be tax penalties for every new location of a big corporation. So for example, when Walmart builds another Walmart or another neighborhood market, there should be tax penalties for them. Not from the state, but from the feds. That when, who's another big box store that's still developing? You know, big box stores are so rare now. I mean, Best Buy's falling apart. Kmart already went bankrupt. Sears went bankrupt. But thinking through those those big ones, I genuinely am having so much trouble thinking of one that's not Walmart. It seems like the only place that's still growing. But when they want to build new locations, that they have to pay something. Um, and then that federal go- the federal government will use that tax penalty to try to help that area redevelop. So their idea is every time Walmart sets up shop in a given town, it crushes all the small businesses. So Walmart goes to, I'll give you an example. This was a discussion in the last 10 years here in the upstate of South Carolina. We're a tiny little town called Traveler's Rest. It is developing quickly, but at the time, quite a small town. There was discussion about Walmart coming to town. And... I could even, I mean, I could do this with my own town. I live in Easley. We only got this big giant Walmart superstore thing. It's been in the last, it's been in the last six or seven years, I guess, that it came along. And we had the arguments. Well, isn't it going to shut down our local hardware store? Because their tool section and hardware section is going to be so much cheaper. Isn't it going to shut down some of our our local apparel places? Because they're going to have everything so much cheaper. Isn't it going to shut down... In Travel's Rest, they have a, um, in that location, they have a place where you get your oil change, tires. Isn't it going to shut down our local mom and pop shops that do oil changes and tires? And admittedly, I've seen, and we all see it, when a Walmart comes to town, some local businesses are the, the casualties of it. And so what the, the Orrin Casses of the world are saying well, Walmart should have to pay for that. We can't tell them they can't do it, but we should penalize them for it, take some money from them, and then put that back into that community in some kind of economic development, whether that's paying for scholarships to go to local technical colleges or 
whatever the idea is, let's take let's disincentivize Walmart from even coming because we don't want them to come. We don't want them to come to town. We want them to stop growing. We want mom and pop shops to be healthy. We want local econo- economies to be strong without big corporations coming in. But even if they do, let's penalize them and try to use that money. So that's the idea. I'm not a fan of the idea. If you disagree, that's fine. Let me know. But Walmart coming to town every time it does, yes, it affects negatively a very small group. And it affects a small group that I love. Because when Walmart comes to town and it causes the local entrepreneur to go out of business, that's sad. I love entrepreneurs. I love people that take risks and start their own businesses. But let's say it shuts down 10 local businesses that employed 100 people total in those local businesses. Well, the entire town of 50,000 benefits because they're paying so much less for everything. And now they have more money in their pocket to do other things with. And Walmart is still going to hire some people even though those jobs are less, less lucrative and less valuable. And so I get it. I get the angst. I don't like the idea. But if you disagree, let me know. Number three idea they're putting forward is that they want to create tax incentives for companies to stay here. So they definitely look back at NAFTA. With a, uh, they don't like NAFTA, right? So the, this Orin Cass group, they, they don't look at free trade the way that I do. I love free trade. Um, and this is the one they're most aggressive on. When I read their materials, they don't like people like me who love free trade. I, I, I think I've talked about it on the show before with some compassion. I saw people, I can actually name them for you, people I know personally, whose job they loved, that they were good at, that made a good living, they saw their job go to Mexico. They saw that that entire industry leave. We see that all over the upstate of South Carolina with the old thing called um, mill hills. All of the textile stuff goes to China. And now we have to retool over here. And it really destroyed. It, admittedly, I'm, I'm not papering that over, destroyed some areas, destroyed economically some neighborhoods and and so these or and cast types from American Compass come and say, we want to penalize companies when they leave. So if you leave, you got to pay a penalty when you build anything else anywhere. So if you're a company that sells stuff here, but you're going to build it somewhere else, you, you, you pay something extra as a company. Not a fan of this one either. Because again, what happens when... Uh, you shut down all the textiles in the upstate of South Carolina. Some thousands of people lost their jobs, but some tens of thousands of people benefit from the lower cost. And that, let's even look at the upstate of South Carolina. We did see the textile industry destroyed, but we're all living better than we were when the textile industry was so powerful here. So I'm not a fan of penalizing companies for building overseas and then trying to bring something back. Um, uh, what was your number four idea? Number four idea was, oh yeah, this is a very, um, this is very big with Marco Rubio right now, changing the tax incentive to where we, they want really big, what's that called? The tax, tr- the, the tax credit for children, the children's tax credit, but the tax credit you get for just having kids. I think Marco Rubio wants to like more than double it. He wants to create every financial incentive there is to have children 
and then every financial incentive to be married. So Marco Rubio has some deals he's putting forward, and I would put Marco Rubio into this camp, by the way, that he thinks capitalism's gone too far. He would make the argument, at least Orrin Cass would make the argument, that the point of life is not free markets. He would say to me, Corey, you think free markets are the point. We should, we should just have them for the sake of having them. But if they're not serving the people, then let's do something different and not have free markets. And I would argue that the free markets do serve people the best. But um, So that's another thing they want to do is highly incentivize having kids and being married, staying married, and using the tax system to do that. I don't oppose that as hard as I impose the other things. I mean, tax credits, eventually, they're not really tax cuts. You know, Tax credits are, is a, still a wealth transfer. It's giving money to people for a given behavior. I don't generally like that, but I could live with it as a policy. Let me get at least one more of these for you. Uh, yeah, um, how about this one? They want to penalize the collecting of assets for a company versus incentivizing innovation. So, example here. Let's say you are... What's a good example? Let, you're GE, you're General Electric. And what you have been spending most of your capital on is every time a new hydrogen energy company or a solar power company, wind power company comes along, you just keep buying them. You just keep buying assets. Or even for that matter, you know, GE got into the lending world. GE loans a lot of money, they're basically a bank. And so they bought a bunch of financial institutions. But GE as a company hasn't invented anything new in a long time. They've spent all their money on buying other things people are already doing and then just taking them over. One of the ideas being put forward by, the, being put forward by American Compass is major tax penalties for that. That if you have a certain ratio of your capital going to buying things that already exist instead of putting it into research and development, then you pay a penalty of some sort. Now, personally, I don't like when companies do that. I don't like the strategy of, let's go find all the people who have already had a bunch of good ideas. Let's just buy their stuff. I love the company that says, we got an extra $100 million in the budget. Let's find some creative people. Let's give them that money and say, go do something new that no one's ever done before. Let's get creative and entrepreneurial. So maybe you could talk me into this one or some form of it. Again, I, I don't like manipulating behavior through taxation, but maybe I could budge on that. All right, so that's what's happening. American Compass is out there. They're going to launch in May, and they're a challenge to me. They're a challenge to the free market folks that say markets are just good. They want to regulate markets more and use government to change social behavior. I'm in for that conversation, and I'd love to have it with you. If you have thoughts, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. Or find me at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. When we come back, I want to give you a few more thoughts on this, not many. And then one idea from Bernie Sanders that's just bonkers and stupid. We will cover that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for sticking with us on the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9 or wherever you find the podcast. Thank you for listening. I want to give you some final thoughts here on Orrin Cass and this new group coming out called American Compass. And I hope I, I did properly in that 
uh, a discussion maybe about what they're putting forward, try to cover some biblical worldview there because there's some biblical worldview to apply to our economic ideas as we think about economic policy. Uh, so I don't agree with many of their specific ideas, although I, I agree with their heart. This is a weird thing for me. I hear them saying capitalism is good. We also think that it has had some consequences that have hurt people, and we want to find a way to help those people. And I go, yeah, I'm for that because but what I'm a capitalist. To my bones, I'm a capitalist. Deeper than deeper than my bones, I love humans because they're made in the image of God. So I don't like the specific ideas put forward, but I, I get their heart. I guess here's where I stand. I have seen all boats rise. That, yes, some of the boats economically have been yachts, but economic life for everyone, with very few exceptions, and I mean very few exceptions in the United States, they've gotten better. And so we, we have the stats that show we have this wonderful economic mobility that I, th- I think it is, keep up with the stat here, I think it's 40% of Americans will spend some time in their life in the top 25% of earners. So they're not going to stay there, but people come in and out of the top 25% of earners. There's not a place on the earth that does that, where that many people will spend at least some time in some of the upper echelons of earnings. That's something we should be proud of and grateful for in our system. I've been hearing some folks talk about where we are economically as a new gilded age. That's the, the 20s, where all the money was going to the very wealthy, but I just... I just look around me and see that's not true. There's there's wealth that's growing everywhere. It just happens to be growing better at the at the top. And I and I look at history of how we responded to it and as we empowered unions or thought about putting employees on boards of trustees like these Orrin Cass people want to do, it's actually what caused so much of the industry to go overseas before NAFTA caused a lot of industry to go overseas. We we got beaten out by other auto industry winners because we of what unions did to GE and Chrysler and all those. And so I've just seen the consequences of it, and I stick by free markets. i got to go very fast on this. We've got to get to sports with a very good discussion in the sports segment. Bernie Sanders is talking about trying to do rent control from the national level, federal rent control, which is insane for a lot of reasons. O- only one is that you can't, from Washington, D.C., do rent control in Bozeman, Montana, and in San Francisco, California. You don't have the wisdom, the wherewithal, and the ability to do that. But here's our real problem with rent control, because this is one of our economic issues. It's almost impossible to spend less than a half of your earnings on a place to live if you're in a big city. But all those cities have really bad policies about developing new housing. They're very picky and make it hard about building new housing. And so you end up in a supply and demand situation where supply of housing is limited, demand is high in the big cities, and so the prices are insane in those places. So what is the better thing than the federal government coming up with uh, federal rent control? The better thing is deregulate the housing industry, and you'll have more affordable housing. We have finished with this stuff. It's time to move on to more serious things in sports. Returning this week for our sports segment is our sports correspondent. He is my good friend and our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hi there, sir. Hello. In the off season, we just don't do it as often. There's less football. That's true. It's just there's kind of a lull 
I mean, mm-hmm. s- spring baseball is starting, but that's not on my radar, honestly. <laughs> um, I, was like, I just Yay. had to throw it out there. Yeah. Uh, we do have the XFL now. Hopefully it, it sustains itself and doesn't fold after this year. Doesn't this – the XFL feels differently this time? Oh, it's much different. You know, last time, I don't know, 20 years ago when it was mm-hmm. out, it was more WWE does football. Yes. I think this time they, they is trying to be a legitimate – Football league, farm system slash, um, whatever well, interview process. You know, a show, a showcase. Perfect. That's what I'm looking for. A showcase for yeah. the NFL type. Um, and I think it's great for the players who've kind of missed the boat in the NFL or were in the NFL and are not in it now. Uh, they can they can put on a good show and get called back and make some money playing the sports and make some money. Yeah, I thought of that of Lance Dunbar. He was the backup running back for the Cowboys just like three years ago. Yep. And now he's a star in the XFL. Yeah. He might get another shot in the NFL right. because of it. It's like Cardell Jones, you know, third string at Ohio State, boom, 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 injuries, whatnot, wins the national championship there. Um, there were some questions uh, about him as far as being able to play in the league. I think this is a great spot for guys like that to showcase. Agreed. It's not the combine. It's not any of that stuff. You know, you can just, just put it on the field and see what you have. I'll give you another one example since we're both Clemson people. I was blown away that Mitch Mitch Hyatt's now currently yep. uh, the, the left tackle for four four years for Clemson is yep. now on the Cowboys practice squad. Right. He I looked at the pay scale. Yep. He could actually go make more in the XFL, and I don't know why he wouldn't. I don't know if it's a it's a pride thing Ooh. or it, it may not be. It may be I'm holding on and hopefully I get the call because yeah. you know it's one injury away from absolutely. Hey, you're on the roster. You know it's just that even like Artavis Scott. Like he's been grinding it yep. out for the Chargers practice squad. Now he's with somebody else. I forgot who he went. Maybe the Giants or something. I think that's right. Um, but you know they're 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 on the cusp of being in the yeah. league, which was their you know these kids is their lifelong dream to get of in course. the NFL. I I really don't blame them. I think you do have to come to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm gonna go play and play yep. and then earn my spot, and not sit on this practice squad. Especially if it's similar money, right? Because another reason I love the XFL is guys who are great players. Yep. They're, the NFL just only has 53 spots for 32 teams. That is, I'm trying to do math in my head, 50 times 30. Is that 1,500 spots? Yep. That's not enough spots. It's not enough spots for all the the good yes. football players. And so the XFL comes along and says, well, let's have, you know what, uh, in basketball they have Europe and Israel. Right. In football there is no football anywhere else. Yeah, you, you basically have to go to Canada. And a lot of guys grind it out there and, and do really well and come back here. Uh, but if you don't want to go to Canada, I mean, there's not much you can do. You can go arena, exactly arena path, but that doesn't work out for many people. And the arena path, by the way, the money is pretty bad. Yeah, it's bad. These guys in the XFL are making better than what we're making. Right, they're making good money. Yeah, they're not gonna get they're not gonna be billionaires off of it, but they're living well. Yeah, but they they get paid to do something they love, and they get to showcase their talent. Yeah, I don't think you can ask for anything better than that. We were talking. I think the only excuse me, yeah, the only the only better farm type thing is baseball. Of course. Uh, and they've done that for hundreds of years. It just really works out. They got it right because they had 100 years to get it right. right. They, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Um, it's great. All right, let me take you to the NFL. We're talking about professional football. The uh, the collective bargaining agreement is back up for how players negotiate with the owners. Yep. So I'm going to give you three things that they're trying to negotiate and get your reaction. Okay. Number one, there is talk. Of right, so right now, only 12 teams go to the playoffs. There's talk of expanding it to 14 teams. Yep. So you get more playoff teams, uh, but only the number one seed in that situation would get the bye week. Right. So reaction to adding a team to the playoffs? I think it's great. Me too. Um, I, I don't like when six and seven type teams get in the playoffs. 
but they usually are just a, a punching bag for the, the better teams anyway. Yeah. But you'll never see me argue against more playoffs. Me too. You, you just won't. The playoffs we just had were incredible. Even college football playoff. Yeah. Do I like four teams? Yes. Would I complain about eight or 16? No, I would not. I want more games <laughs> with consequences and great yeah, teams. Yeah, I even have a plan for eight if they want to hear it. Yeah, you know? let's do like, this thing. Let's do it. Okay, so then this, I, I'm with you on this. I want more teams in the playoffs because it gives me more football. Right. They are also talking about taking a uh, one of the preseason games games away, so it's only three preseason, but the the season would start a week earlier, and it would be 17 games in the season. They should play two preseason games. Why not? That's what they should do. Yeah. Nobody gives a rip. You can figure out which 53 you want in practice. Sure can. We don't need to see that. It's another because it goes to the other theme of that conversation. I think fifty three is too few. Yeah, you get fifty three plus ten practice squad. Right. There's so you so think it should be like a seventy two man roster? Yes, I do. And then a practice squad. And yes. Yeah. And if you have a seventeenth game, it gives you even more reason. Right. Because more injuries happen. Yeah. So more guys are getting paid to play football. Yeah. Right. And I want more guys. getting Why paid. can't they manage the NFL like college manages their? I mean, you're so strict on your practice time, contact with the That's players. Right. Obviously, you don't have to have those type of rules, but. There are certain things you can do, you can't do, and they they have no scrimmages, they have no preseason, they play a spring game, they right. have practice, and then boom, it's game day. Yeah, I don't know why the NFL they have the best of the best in football players on the planet. Why can't you manage it better than the college, three or four preseason games? The college scheduling is surprisingly better than professional scheduling. Oh, it is. Yeah, and how they handle their athletes. The last change, I am I am in favor of. Uh, but maybe I want more. So right now, the money split. So how much of all the revenue, yep. how, much, how much of it goes to player contracts versus the owner's pockets? Yep. It's currently 53-47 owners. Yep. They just want to change it to 52-48 owners. So Why don't they just change it to 50-50? 50-50, thank you. Or, you know, like 60-40 players. Uh, the players are putting their lives the owners, on the yeah, yeah, the owners front the money, but they're at risk of nothing except, yeah. you know, maybe going bankrupt. But if you're a good businessman, you have billions of dollars spent on a franchise, yeah. you're not going to go bankrupt. The NFL is the most stable of things you could possibly it, it invest is. in. It's an instant check. Yes. Why not pay the players more? I, I don't understand that. So I'm an NFL guy, yep. and when I saw that stat, I went, that's not right. No, that's the garbage. aren't getting 50, 50, I mean, uh, 47%. There's no way. And then they say, you know, the owners, well, they put up all the front, they do all the, the stadium, blah, 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 blah. They're not paying for that. They're subsidized by people. Let's give the players... Now, listen, the players make a ton of money. That's sure. not what I'm saying. I'm not saying they're poor. I'm saying, you know, you should spend more on labor than you do fluffing the pockets of the rich guys. Absolutely. And I am not. I don't hold a grudge against rich people like Jones. Okay, he earned it. Sure. Like, he's a smart dude. He invested where he should. He bought what he should, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not a socialist by any means. In this room, but neither one of us could be less like Bernie Sanders. No. Yeah, we're not. Like, if you want to get into politics, we'll we'll, we'll, get we'll say some bad words. Yeah, no, I'm just joking. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's ridiculous. I think you should split it fifty fifty, man. In if if not the other direction, right? Like players getting more, right? Because the, the highest paid players are yeah, they're getting super wealthy. But I think surprises some people. If you're on a uh, a four three defense, you only carry six linebackers into the season. Yeah. If you're the sixth linebacker. I say only, yeah. But your contract is probably only for three hundred and fifty grand. Yeah, you probably grand. get the league minimum. Yes, and so I don't guys putting their bodies on the line like this. And I, yeah, I, you know, to the everyday person, I'd take three hundred. But you're not. Your job is not physically demanding as these. Yes. I'm just talking about practice weights yep. getting hit by these guys. I mean, I don't want. I don't want a six foot six guy, two hundred sixty pounds, hit me at full speed. Here's also the important part of that to me. 
these guys for their for their earning potential, where you and I yep. have 30, 50 more years of earning yeah. potential, their earning potential is a five to six year window. Yeah. And running backs are less than that. Yes. And so they need to be making more in that five to six year window right. because I don't know what they do when they leave football. It's yeah. often a very ugly sight. It's it's very ugly. It's kind of, I would never uh, compare sports to the military, but you know, you have all these military guys, special forces guys, they're in 15, 20 years when they transition out. They're right. not sure what to do. Right. And there's no, really no program to help them. No. Um, and do not accuse me of, Comparing sports to the military, <laughs> it is not the same thing. Uh, but you know, there's it, it's hard when you do something your whole life and then you're done. What do you do now? But the money unless you're very smart and you invest and you have yes. friends that will help you, you know, with your career and whatever. The money mentality situation is though very yep. similar. No, oh, yeah, very. coming out of both of those. Yep. All right. So away from professional, one last topic here: the Clemson Tigers and the Georgia Bulldogs have booked a season opening game or uh, right. matchup. Yep. In Charlotte in 2021, and I just love it. I assume you do too. I do. It should be every year. No We've doubt. talked about this. They they used to play, you know. All the time, yeah. and they don't very much anymore. You know, conference, TV money, all that stuff. I get it. But, you know, Clemson and Georgia are close geographically. 75 closer, miles. Closer than their in-state rivals. That's right. Um, and Clemson and Georgia are both much better than their in-state rivals. Right. So the game means more. Yes. Um, like we were talking about, maybe Georgia Tech and South Carolina should be new rivals, and I they should it. have a year-end game. I love that. And Clemson and Georgia should play every year and just replace the other one. No, I think it's great. I love when the marquee teams play each other early, middle, late. I don't care. So um, and now South Carolina is different with the state. You have to, you know, play the smaller schools so they can get some athletic money. But, um, yeah, I'm all for those games. I only have one more thought on this so you get the last word. I love that that game is going to take place as the first game after the Lawrence ETN era. Yep. And so whatever whatever product Clemson's putting out on the field yep. is this brand new thing. It's going to have mystery around it. It's going to be yeah. a lot of fun. Let me dispel some of the mystery for you. They're going to be very good. <laughs> yes, they will. Uh, this, right. You know, DJ Uyunglele is going to be at quarterback. Lin J or Bowman is going to be at running back. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a different version, of course, but I think it's going to be more of the same. Yeah. And who knows? I'm excited for so it. It's going to be gr- awesome. Grateful to Kirby and Dabo putting it together. Yeah, it's going to be great. We need more of those. How about Wyoming making a million point, $1.1 million to not play Clemson? Oh, wow. Clemson had to buy them out because right that was on their schedule. So, uh, kudos to you, Wyoming. Shucks. All shucks. <laughs> so you can build a new You don't building. have to get destroyed and you make a million bucks. Yeah, good good job. Thanks for coming and doing sports, man. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.